Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Cookbook Circle podcast. I'm Hannah. And I'm Victoria. And we've set out to review the UK's most popular cookbooks, those that you probably have at home and haven't opened in a while. We take one cookbook each episode to cook from and to stress test, digging out their best recipes, bringing them to life again, and hopefully inspiring you to do so too. Hello, Victoria. Hi, Hannah. And hello to our guests who we'll introduce in a second. We are back and it's not a normal episode, but we've got a mini episode, a minisode, as I think we're calling them. <laughs> we don't <laughs> know how again. many it's going to be. <laughs> it might be the same as a, the same length of a, as our usual ones, but that's all the better. But yes, we're back with another minisode and that is exciting for a huge number of reasons. Firstly, because we are welcoming our first guest to the podcast today. Uh, so, you know, you can you can review Hannah and I's interview style. <laughs> um, but we're very excited to bring this interview to you. Our guest is Julie Gibbs, who has a 30-year history in publishing lifestyle books. And for 21 years, she was a publisher at Penguin Australia and became known for her prize-winning cookbooks, including Stephanie Alexander's The Cook's Companion and David Thompson's Thai Food which is why we hope you'll all be very excited to hear us talk to Julie today. Julie also has a passion for cookbooks, which we hope to get into when we speak to her today. Julie got in touch with us after our episodes on Thai food and The Cook's Companion, uh, because not only does she share our love for the books, but she actually is a huge part of those books' history because she worked on publishing both of them. So we're very excited to speak to her. We know that there's been a huge amount of love for these books, particularly The Cook's Companion. Vic and I were both blown away by the response that we got and how many people talked about how it'd been in their family for years and they use it every day. So as much as Vic and I love talking about finished cookbooks, we don't know that much about what actually goes into the process of making and publishing one. So we thought it'd be fascinating to hear more from Julie as one of the pros. Yeah, so Judy, welcome. Welcome. Hi, Victoria. I get to be <laughs> a groupie on your show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've definitely not had that experience before. <laughs> Great. I'm excited to join you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you. 
Julie, before we get into grilling you a little bit, that's uh, not a pun, but it could be. <laughs> Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your, your background? Sure. I was born in Adelaide in South Australia. And I, from a very young age, was obsessed with baking, cooking. I had a grandmother who was a great cook. Cooking was just what I always wanted to do in my spare time. I was also very bookish. So I was always the one up a tree with an apple and a book. Oh. Uh, so I was very fortunate that the two passions were able to dovetail. And I started studying law arts and I was working in bookshops along the way and you know, I just found my found my way into publishing. It's just what I always wanted to do. And very quickly, I was able to combine my passion for food with, with the books. And I was working for a, a wonderful woman who was actually Stephanie Alexander's publisher. Her name was Susan Payne. She now lives in London. So I ended up as a very junior editor working with Stephanie on a book called Stephanie's Australia, which was a book about food producers and food luminaries around the country. It was travelled and, and documented what Australian food looked like in that book. And that was in the very early 90s. So it was, it was way ahead of its time. And she and I really enjoyed working together and we went on to do many, many books together. But the cook's companion came about because she felt, Stephanie is a librarian by profession. She's a very organised, thorough person, which you would have to be to execute that kind of manuscript. (laughs) There really wasn't a book for Australians about the ingredients in the food, particular to our country and our climate, and also to all the influences that we have here, because they are many varied and wonderful because we're a country that people have migrated to from all over the world as well, of course. So Stephanie decided to write an Australian cookbook for Australians and being a librarian, she started at the letter A because she needs to organise the material. So she started going ingredient by ingredient. When you get to the end of the letter C, you will discover that that's actually a third of the book. (laughs) I was going Oh my goodness, this book is going to be an encyclopedia of many volumes if we've only got the first three letters of the alphabet dealt with. Anyway, they didn't all take up that amount of work. We worked on that manuscript for about three years solid. Wow. Wow. Every morning and devote extra time to it. And a lot of people say to me, especially chefs and cooks, how on earth am I going to find the time in my busy schedule running a restaurant, running all the things I do? How am I going to find a time to write recipe, a recipe book? I can't. There aren't enough hours in the day. Yeah. And Stephanie just made herself get up an hour, an hour and a half earlier every day to write that book. You actually have to find a new slot in your schedule and create it somehow. Yeah. Because we joked in the Cook's Companion episode that someone had commented underneath an article saying you can tell that she's a librarian because she's this book is like a to z and we laughed about that but actually that's how she wrote it was from she started at a that's amazing she's a very clear thinker and a methodical person she's also very creative but her her methodology really stood her in good stead it was a lonely thankless task you know it was dogged what she had to do yeah and cheering from the sidelines and encouraging her. And I remember when the manuscript was delivered, it came in, you know, three photocopy paper boxes. It was just massive, all printed out, double-spaced and whatever. And then there was the 
you know, gigantic task of the edit. And Stephanie worked with a wonderful woman called Caroline Pizzi, who's a, a very well-respected editor here in Australia. And she has, has an equally organised brain and did a marvellous, marvellous editor. Wow. And I've, I've enjoyed your your enjoyment of the little side note recipes because I think that's one of the great features of the book. If you're a, a reasonable home cook, those little side notes are all you need. Uh, fennel and, and parmesan, marriage made in heaven. Ah, yes, I know what I can do. Sometimes that's all you need is that just little brainwave. And that, I think, is one of the special things that the book does. Is it just sets you, sets yeah, you on I, the right. I absolutely adored those little things. And I think I said yeah. it in the episode, it felt like being in her brain. Like like she would yeah. probably just scribble that down and say, oh, that's a good way to do it, but it doesn't need a whole recipe. I'm also like fascinated that she did it on her own because some of the other books we've looked at on the podcast, like the Julia Child book, for example, there's two other people that worked on that with her. And even we've recently recorded the Joy of Cooking book. You know, that's kind of a living, breathing thing and it moves and the family edit it. But I mean, from what you're saying, it sounds like Stephanie kind of sat down and did it on her own. And that it is an incredible feat. It is an incredible feat and she is incredible. And that's the kind of person that she is. <laughs> work ethic like no one else I've ever met she is dogged and determined and she sits there and keeps going and it is a remarkable work for those qualities that she has uh and then so it was published in first in 1996 and so what we did was because it was so long we left out a lot of those recipes that we thought people already had some pretty standard ones that we thought people would have in other books but the feedback very quickly was where are those recipes? We want everything in this book. So in 2004, we published a new edition, and that's the one with the stripy, the stripy cover, yeah, orange spine on it. And the second edition was as third as much again of a book. Wow! So added a huge amount. She really re- did rewrite the book and added a huge amount more to it. And that's the book that it is today. Every time it's reprinted, she will finesse it and you know, put in corrections and and there are corrections that go in all the time. So it is a constantly evolving project. How Mm. much of the food did you get to eat? Did Stephanie ever cook for you? Uh, She was always trying recipes and very happy to help her. And one of the things that Stephanie has taught me is that she does not like to be in the kitchen while there are guests at table. That's one of her big things. She wants to be where the conversation and the action is. So she taught me to be very organized and to have done one's preparation and to have done food. But when your guests arrive, it is all ready to go. It's on the table and you are part of the party. And that is a wonderful life skill to have had shared with one. Yeah, that's amazing. When you were kind of in the process of speaking with Stephanie and publishing or thinking about publishing the book, did you ever get any kind of push back because it was I guess from the start you knew it was going to be huge so did you ever did anybody ever doubt that you should publish a book that big or you know kind of encyclopedia of ingredients great question Victoria yes I had a new job in the Penguin publishing house and I brought this book to Penguin I was 29 years old when I brought that book as a non-fiction publisher so I was very young very hungry and very enthusiastic. And there were a lot of quite senior male executives. <laughs> of course. <laughs> we know them. <laughs> we're aware. In the uh, early 90s, they wore beige suits. 
Uh, <laughs> did question a book of, you know, 700 pages with no food on plates. Uh, they didn't see it as a very exciting prospect. But we decided that was its virtue, that it was a very reassuring collection of recipes, that the fact that there were, and we couldn't, we frankly just couldn't afford to photograph all those, all those recipes. And also at that stage, there was a really good tradition of very wonderful, inspiring cookbooks. You didn't have photographs. If you think of, you know, Marta Jeffrey, Elizabeth David, and so, so many books that had come from the UK, particularly that didn't have any, any food on place to talk about. Nigel Slater, you know, there, there are many books that haven't had any photographs. Anyway, we decided we, we just couldn't and wouldn't do that. And so there are some inspirational plates in the book. But also I felt that, you know, the instructions for the recipes are very thorough and that whatever you produce, whatever comes out of your kitchen is, is the dish. Yeah, that would have served us well on old Thomas Keller book. Just any, anything that we could produce from French laundry was good enough. <laughs> that was our, our ethos. <laughs> yeah, cheers. It's definitely a world away from the cook's companion. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, th- there was a lot of convincing, a lot of hand selling uh, together with the sales manager. We, we went out and on a course made to sell this book. I had such conviction about this book. I had such a feeling that this was the book Australian description. That it was very reassuring. The thing about Stephanie, she is a self-taught cook. She had a very amazing restaurant in Melbourne called Stephanie's, but she was not a professional chef. She was she had learned cooking, you know, in a hands-on way. Yeah. She writes as beautifully as she cooks. She's a very good writer. And she she had first and foremost been a home cook. So she understands the pressures and the requirements of the domestic kitchen. Yes, she's got professional underpinning in, in the deep knowledge that she had, but it, it's a book that's come from that someone who's had to make food for family and friends for a very long time. Yeah. Do you think that's why it's been received so well, why it's got such a beloved response? I, I think it's a very reassuring book. One of my favourite sports is to ask anyone what their favourite recipe is in the book, and I have never known two responses the same. <laughs> I particularly love the fact that there's all the information on, on timings for meat. 3.2 kilos, I have no idea how long to cook it. The answer is always in the Or if you've got a glass of rhubarb or, you know, somebody gives you a, a, some squid and you think, oh, my goodness, how do I think? Like, it's, it's all in there. Yeah. Or you have a custard for the Christmas pudding and you only do it once a year, there's the recipe. It's just the go-to place. Yeah. And that's what I that book to be in people's hearts and minds uh so that was the goal in publishing it and we did achieve that now you know I, there's nothing that makes me happier than to walk into somebody's home or restaurant kitchen and see that book that it's fine coming off and you know it's got spatters all over it and yeah and just it, it's a part of their life absolutely said julie what is your favorite recipe from cook's companion oh now you put me on the spot there's actually a rather wonderful rhubarb cake in there that i do make quite a lot uh, but the irony is the first time i met that cake was in london 
uh, and a friend had made it in my honour when I went there for dinner. And I said, this is the most outstanding cake. And she said, it's from the cook's companion. I didn't even remember it. Oh, my <laughs> but God. It's not a very lovely part of my repertoire, but uh, that's the way I met that cake. Okay. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Okay. yeah, Hannah loves a bit of rhubarb. I do. Yeah. Just out of season here. Hannah, you said it's an app now, the book, right, on the episode, that that seems like, you know, a new incredible modern way to introduce it to, you know, a whole new generation of of people so that they can have it to hand, but mm. not have to have the giant book if they're going off to university or they're traveling or they're moving internationally, that that seems like a great thing for it to be. So also, I guess you can search for ingredients. Yes. So, so Stephanie produced that app herself. Uh, she's, wow. She's very enterprising. She did it quite a while after the fact, but she decided it needed to be an app and it was a huge amount of work. But it is great. I've got it on my iPad and it means wherever I go in the world, I've got the book. Mm-hmm. And I've used it in many a holiday home and many on many a trip. Uh, and it's a good feeling to know you've always got that knowledge with you. So yeah. it was, a, it was a, a great thing for her to do. Just out of interest, not just on Cook's Companion, but any cookbooks that you've worked on, how much, to what level can you interject? Do you just kind of have to leave all the creative stuff and the recipe stuff to the chef themselves or the writer? Or do you say, you know, I I, I don't think this recipe is accessible for the people? Or like, to what level do you have control over what goes in? Uh, I have a lot of input. Yeah. I've always had a lot of input. And every project is different. Every chef or cook is different. They, they all all come at it in a different way. That's what makes doing this job so interesting and rewarding, actually. And what you're trying to do is channel everything that they are and have in their mind onto the pages of a book. And for some, that's a very natural process. And for others, it's extremely daunting and difficult so sometimes they need a lot of help to organise their thoughts and their the structure of the book and others know exactly what they want to do and set off to do it. So as a publisher, it's a case of just working with that talented person and, and finding a way for them to get their material down in the purest form and making sure that it is going to work for the domestic kitchen. That's that's the other big job, particularly if somebody's very institutionalised, as some of the, ch- the chefs are, and they actually don't even cook in their own home kitchens, then there's a process involved into making the recipes more domestic. But I also have always been involved in the creative direction of the book on how it's going to be structured and what the theme is going to be and how we're going to make yet another cookbook in another bookshop the one that people want to want to buy and take home. Because when I started doing this, food publishing was not the thing it is now. It was easy to sell cookbooks. Now it's very challenging because there are so many for us to choose from. If we go into the into the bookstore, particularly here in Australia, you know, we've got Nigella and Jamie and Nigel and the River Cafe and Diana Henry, they're all there. All those wonderful, wonderful people are there, along with our people as well so there's so much to choose from you've really got to work hard to get people's attention and their and their dollar yeah talking about the juxtaposition between home chefs and professional chefs is a good way to segue into Mr David Thompson (laughs) because I I think that there couldn't be two more different kind of books that you maybe published and we're going to talk about so can you tell us a little bit about how that book came about and because so David Thompson's is the, the Thai food book and, and we talked about it a few episodes ago. It's also an encyclopedia 
kind mm. of book, right? It's and it's very unapologetically Thai. It doesn't feel, at least for the home cook, as much as, of course, Stefan Alexander. But yeah, how did that book come about? They are they are two completely different projects at, at opposite ends of the publishing spectrum. <laughs> uh, David Thompson's Thai book is nothing short of a work of genius. Mm. He is a genius and I don't think anyone would argue with its scholarship and the depth of knowledge on the page. And he is a unique person. He is an Australian man who went to Thailand and immersed himself in the food and the culture of that country. And he doesn't look Thai, but he's Thai through and through. You know? <laughs> and really, he's got Thai blood running in his veins now. And he has such reverence and respect for the country. He's married to a a Thai man. He's um, that. That's that's who he is now. He was just determined to document the history and the culture of of Thai food, and it took eight years. Uh, our French our, our friendship was very stretched at a couple of points. <laughs> there that's was more. a rather there was a rather tense breakfast meeting at the Wolseley that he and I still talk about. I was in London for the London Book Fair and. He was busy opening his restaurant at the Halkin, the Nam and the Halkin then. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yes, it was a very, very, very tense meeting. But as a result of that, he did finally deliver the manuscript after eight years. Um, and the manuscript has the, the first third of it is the history of Thai food, mm. and it's very learned. And then there are all those incredible recipes using all those traditional ingredients. And he had to make a decision really about making it very pure and not domesticating it. And th- yeah. I went along with that. Nice. He Did certainly he- managed that. <laughs> yeah. But it's yeah. great. We loved it. We, you know, it was, you probably heard, we ca- we definitely came around on it. We were worried about doing a, a book by a, an Australian man about Thai food, but actually, you know, we came away thinking this is, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, and that's what it is. It is a brilliant work of scholarship that no one can criticise him for having done because no one's gone that deep. Yeah. The book was actually, we photographed it in London at the Halkin Hotel, the yeah. um, very wonderful photographer Earl Carter, and I hold ourselves up in a hotel room and we shot that whole book just <laughs> in, in one of the hotel rooms and I was wow. running up room. and down the that's stairs. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. I think they had to replace the carpet afterwards and the curtains because it would have smelled so disgusting. <laughs> but I was running up and down from the restaurant kitchen up into our ready-made studio and we did it all there. Wow. And uh, I knew we were creating a special book and that's why it got that beautiful pink Thai silk cover on it. It's mm. beautiful. The history yeah, alone it's... must have just taken so much work and fact-checking and everything. That's almost a book in itself. Absolutely. And there's a very wonderful food editor whose name is Alison Cowan. She now lives in, and works in the UK and is the food editor for many eminent cooks and chefs over there. And she did an outstanding job of editing that book and yeah. she brought a lot to it in that process. Wow. So when mm. it comes to the actually writing the recipe, like the, the recipe on the page, whose job is that to kind of finesse and make that kind of readable and it's the food editor's job, yes. Yeah. And they are the unsung heroes of all the cookbooks that we use that are successful because they have to make sure that all the ingredients are listed in the order in which they feature in the in the method, yeah. that it all makes sense, that the, there aren't steps missed out, that the weights and measures work, that the ingredients 
the, the, the way they're described are going to be relevant in the in the country that it's going to be published in because we know we all use different names for things. Yeah, yeah. Um, it it is a very rigorous, particular skill being a food editor, and uh, we can't do it without those those wonderful people. Wow. Obviously, Cook's Companion and Thai Food have been around for a little while now, and you still work on publishing cookbooks to an extent. So, what do you think is the big difference between has that changed? Has that process changed in the last 20, 30 years? How is it different now? Has the internet helped? What, what are the big kind of contrasts there? Well, it's it's changed dramatically because when I started out publishing, there was no internet. Yeah. <laughs> and so one published nonfiction books for information. You published because that's where people got their reliable information. Sure. And you made sure it was reliable. So you had there was a huge responsibility. And of course, now, you know, the horse has bolted and there's so many recipes online and so many different ways of getting inspiration and recipes. So now a recipe book is more about inspiration and about taking someone on a journey because they're more purchased as gifts Mm. and more a lifestyle kind of enhancement than necessarily how to cook. But I still think there's no better way to get food information and inspiration than from between the covers of a book because it's curated and considered. Everything has been given thought as to what to include and what to leave out mm-hmm. you know that an editor's been over those recipes of course there are mistakes in books it happens all the time but but the the intention is for there not to be mistakes the intention is that you've really lavished care and attention on it and yeah. hopefully that's that's what people value yeah I think I think so I think I, I much prefer to cook out of a book than from a recipe on the internet I might I might I think I maybe I do the other way around I go look on the internet for inspiration and then the actual recipe comes from maybe a book that I found yeah <laughs> maybe that's just me but you talked a little bit at the beginning about Australian kind of ingredients and it, it feels like you're obviously quite a unique country and that you've got so many different influences plus of course that you're native indigenous people what do you think is the things that set Australian food apart from or Australian cookbooks apart from the rest of the world? I think that we have so much on offer here and we're kind of unafraid with ingredients because we can just mix them up. Having, having said that, you can make an awful botch of things and <laughs> you know, fusion can become confusion very easily. So that, you know, it, it can be a dangerous path as well. But we, can, we have access just to the most wonderful ingredients and traditions Mm. And we've got an incredible climate and we've got beautiful light and we've got very talented food photographers. And there's been a very inspiring tradition of food publication in Australia, not only in books, but also in magazines. There was a, a, a magazine called Vogue Entertaining, which was looked at all around the world as being a leader in food publishing for quite a long time. And I think Food Illustrated was kind of inspired by that and many other magazines as well. And there's also Gourmet Traveller has been very influential in the marketplace mm. here. And, and then there was a version of Delicious Magazine as well. And there's a light, there's a, an immediacy, there's this freshness to the ingredients. We are lucky in that we can grow our ingredients where we are going to purchase them. 
they don't have to be flown in from many different countries as yours have to. So we have very fresh food. And I think uh, I think what we cook reflects that too. There's also uh, like Hannah and I, for example, we live in London. So we could we could, if we wanted, pop off for a gourmet weekend in Italy to Bologna or to Rome or wherever but that is maybe a bit more difficult for for you <laughs> you can't just pop on a train or a plane for three hours and, and get to a different destination so you kind of have to create it there it's so true and we have a, an amazing tradition of Italian food in Australia and mm. we've got migrants who came here and who staunchly defend their techniques and their traditions on one hand but also use Australian produce together mm. with it and so we have this very exciting Italian food in Australia and you can say that for many of the other cuisines as well yeah as we talk to Julie her entire background is a ton of cookbooks <laughs> we can see a whole colorful bookshelf so obviously this yeah this is your bread and butter Julie but do you have a favorite cookbook this is going to be a very difficult question I think <laughs> It's re- it's such a hard decision. My favorite cookbook, and I I think my favorite cookbook is usually the set of page proofs of the book I'm working on at any given time. Sure, because there's always page proofs on the kitchen bench being cooked from. Mm. So at the moment, I've got a book by Christine Manfield, who used to have a, L- a London restaurant actually, and she's just written a book called Indian Cooking Class, and it's mm. 500 pages long. So mm. I've been cooking from that. Uh, and yeah and then there's a lot another lovely Australian cook called Belinda Jeffrey and she has an Instagram post on Sunday mornings that's got a following of about 30,000 followers and she just posts on Sunday mornings and we all wake up on Sundays and want to see what Belinda's cooking (laughs) so we've just we've just done a book of those posts called A Year of Sundays and she is a wonderful baker and Belinda actually has a book that probably is my favorite book and it's called Mix and Bake and it's a baking book. Yeah. And uh, there's a chocolate brownie recipe in there that I have won many a heart and a book deal with. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how you yeah. win the book deals. You just bring the brownies. <laughs> you bring the brownies and the brownies work every time. <laughs> um, and oh, look, it's it's about what I'm what I'm doing at any given time. I'm desperate to make some chutney. So the Ballymaloo book will come out I was lucky enough to go off there about three years ago and spend a week Uh, and uh, came home with some you know some beloved recipes that are now part of my life so the the favorite book is what the influence is at any given time I'd probably say yeah that's fair I don't think Vic or I would be able to name a favorite cookbook either for the same reason (laughs) yeah exactly yeah whatever we've got yeah that we're cooking for yeah. So I have got 600 books on this wall. So wow. there's always 600. 600, yeah. There is a wonderful app that people can use called Eat Your Books. And I've just indexed all my books. So catalogued all my books so that the index is actually plugged into the app. And it means so last night I knew that I had recently seen a recipe for lamb shoulder with pomegranate molasses and I couldn't remember whose recipe it was so I just put in lamb shoulder pomegranate molasses and it came up yeah so I knew which book to go to so it's a very wonderful resource genius I think we're going to need that soon because we keep complaining about how we're running out of space in our tiny (laughs) London flats with these piles of cookbooks (laughs) yeah yeah I'm moving house soon and I keep 
every time a new book arrives, I'm like, well, this is my moving costs going up by about 40 pounds every time because they're all so heavy. What happens? But that that app does help you find your way through them because often you can't remember which book a recipe was in. So it's very, yeah. very helpful for that. Especially when it comes mm. to like Ottolenghi or something like that, where he has so many yes. books and it's like, I know this is an Ottolenghi recipe, but I'm not sure which book to go mm, to. Yeah, totally. And if you're in a hurry and you know that there's something with, preserved lemon and chicken and you can't remember which book it's in it's fantastic to be able to find it and it, it does mean I, I i feel like it it means i use my books more mm. which is always a good thing that's mm. great julie you are working on a really cool project at the moment for the powerhouse museum is that right I'm working on such a cool project. This is really exciting. It's called the Australian Culinary Archive. And I've been invited to contribute to this wonderful endeavour. We started in 1968, which is when the landmark cookbook in Australia was published by a woman called Margaret Fulton. Mm -hmm. And most of our mothers grew up with the Margaret Fulton cookbook. And she died about three, four years ago, and I've been in touch with her family and we've got props from her kitchen and from that book, and that's been the sort of starting point. So we are documenting Australian food culture, and I have the great privilege of going around and interviewing the chefs and cooks and food writers and producers and people who have really contributed to what Australian food is now. So I'm about 18 months into the project, and it's launching in 2024. And there'll be a new museum and a new kitchen and a whole exciting new scene to um, celebrate the Australian Culinary Archive. That sounds amazing. amazing. That's yeah. when we'll time yeah. our trip for then, Vic. Yeah. <laughs> Go we can come over for the launch. <laughs> you will be there, you two. That would be really <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Well, since you're so obviously across the cookbook scene and culinary scene and everything in Australia, are there any kind of rising stars of any age that we, Vic and I, should be on the lookout for? We're very new to the scene, so any tips are very welcome. There are so many rising stars. I've got a little pile of of recent books here. There's a great woman called Alice Zaslavsky, and she's done a big Bible in praise of veg, a modern kitchen companion. And this is a really fantastic veg Bible. I love it. It's a gorgeous book. Yeah. Yeah. It's a gorgeous book, brightly coloured. It has sold really well and for good reason. There's a Nigella quote on the front that says, Alice is a force of nature. Uh, There is a wonderful man called Lennox Hastie and his restaurant in Sydney is called Fire Door and your listeners might have seen him on Chef's Table. Yeah. Yeah. I first met Lennox when I was in, working on a project about following food along the Spanish Camino. Yeah. And we lobbed in an extra barry and there was Lennox cooking there at that time. <laughs> and we became firm friends. And then he, he ended up coming to Sydney and starting this incredible, incredible restaurant. But he's done his first book called Finding Fire. I love that book. Also here in Sydney, we have the very inspiring Josh Nyland, yes. whose first book is called The Whole Fish Cookbook. And that's won many international awards and been greatly lauded. And Josh's big thing is that he dry butchers and ages fish, as a traditional meat butcher might do. Right. And he will never allow any water or ice near his fish. Wow. He just wow. thinks that's, yes, that's just sacrilege. 
So, and he also has a, his restaurant in Sydney is called St. Peter. And then a few doors up, there's another wonderful place where I find myself two or three times a week called the Fish Butchery. And if you buy a beautiful piece of coral trout or beautiful piece of Australian fish there, it will come dry. There will be, it will not be wet or slushy. And wow. uh, it's that's very the big thing about preserving flavour. Yeah, it reminds me of Fergus Henderson, that cover and St. John. And if his, if his restaurant is called St. Peter, there's a lot of similarity there. <laughs> yes, and very much uh, a nose to tail yeah. ethos about the fish. So if you go to dinner at St. Peter, you will be eating fish eyeballs and <laughs> all sorts of interesting things that he makes totally delicious. Wow. There's another wonderful woman called Danielle Alvarez. She published a beautiful book last year called Always Add Lemon. And she is the head chef at a restaurant in Sydney, also called Treads. And Danielle learnt a lot of her craft from Chez Panisse uh, uh. and brings that philosophy to the beautiful food that she makes at Treads. And it's a very favourite place to go. It's a big treat. But if you said, where should I take you for dinner tonight? I might, I might be keen to go there. <laughs> <laughs> That's a gorgeous book as well. It's very, um, looks like very Alison Roman-esque. Yes. It is, actually. And then the last one I'll share with you is a book that I did publish about four years ago called Flower and Stone, Baked for Love, Life and Happiness. And this is a baker, Nadine Ingram, who actually trained in London at Le Gavroche and all sorts of interesting Mm. places. And she has a cult following and there is a long queue outside her bakery every single morning to, uh, yes, to get cake and, and pastries. On the front cover, we've got her beautiful fine apple tart with very burnt black edges on it. Yeah. Just the way she, just the way she wants it to, yeah, to end up. And I loved this book because I actually got to test every recipe in this book. Wow. I was the official tester. And I can't tell you the feeling of great personal pride at having executed a croissant that my husband did tell me was equal to Nadine. <laughs> wow, that's so congratulations. Good. But, I would, but I would say that's testament to her great uh, skill in writing recipes because she really does tell you how to get the result. If you wow. follow those recipes, you'll yeah, it'll all work out. Yeah, I really want to be a recipe tester. I looked into it before. I just think it looks, it will be the best job ever. It's just like my dream. It is, it is a good, it's a good job, but you've got to use your common sense and yeah. work out when you when you send an, an SOS text message and when you battle on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just one more thing I was thinking about was what pun very much intended here. What are the ingredients for a successful cookbook? Do you think at, at what obviously they're so diverse and they can come from professional kitchens or people like Stephanie Alexander, home cooks? What's the common theme that makes a cookbook great that you think? I think they have to be reliable. You get one go. If somebody cooks a recipe that doesn't work, that cookbook is gone in their mind and their heart because you've wasted their time, you've wasted their money with the ingredients, and you've wasted all that hope. So yeah. you get one go. So it's got to work. And that's that's one's job as a as a food editor and publisher is to make sure that every one of those recipes earns its paper. Yeah. Earns its place in that book. Mm. Well, yeah. You're speaking to two people who have had many an emotional breakdown <laughs> over a recipe. So <laughs> and that feeds into how we rate them. So I would agree with you on that one, Julie. <laughs> Everything from Thomas Keller to Jamie Oliver. We've had we've had the breakdowns over them all. <laughs> we, we've all had breakdowns, haven't we? And, and uh 
Yes, but when something's gone wrong, you look at that book twice, don't you? And you go, oh. Yeah. yeah. Will I go there again? Yeah. Will I go there again? <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Well, Judy, thank you so much for joining us. This has been absolutely fascinating and thank brilliant. You. Great thank honor. you so much. Thank you. If our lovely listeners would like to find you online, how can they do that? How can they find out more about you? They can find me on Instagram, Julie underscore Gibbs, send me a DM. And I have a website, juliegibbs.com, and they can send me an email from the website. I'd love to have any cookbook chat, recipe chat with anyone. It's my passion. I love talking cookbooks and and food. And uh, it's been such a delight to do that with you and to get to know you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. What are you having for dinner tonight, Julie? <laughs> well, we're having we're having the leftovers of the, of the aforementioned shoulder of lamb. Oh, yeah. nice, nice. Can't go yeah. wrong. Yeah, yeah it's very I'm, good actually. I'm absolutely starving. It's <laughs> eight a.m. here in London. <laughs> I'm like, I have nothing in my house for breakfast. So I have to sort that out. <laughs> I'm jealous that you're having dinner. <laughs> Thank you yeah. so much, Julie. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you both very much. <laughs> bye. 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 Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Cookbook Circle. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you've enjoyed it, please leave us a review as it helps others to find us. You can see how the recipes from this episode turned out on our Instagram at Cookbook Circle. And if you make anything from the books we talk about, please don't forget to tag us. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.